Thanks, Pastor Brent. And good morning, everyone. We are in our series, One Word, and uh, we're taking a look at, over the, um, all the totality of the scriptures, um, these uh, themes and concepts and teachings that surface uh, over the course of the entire Bible. And uh, if you look at these themes, uh, many of them, as we've been studying them in, in our services, uh, just have incredible life impact and appear in so many different ways, through story, uh, through poem, and in characters' lives, etc. So we're going to continue doing that uh, this morning, and today we're going to be talking about grace, this free gift known as grace, that the scriptures identify as grace. And we've got lots to go through this morning. If you don't have a copy of the notes, you can pick up a copy as you continue. We've got lots to fill in, and um, we'll try and get through this. A lot of, uh, I guess, theological ideas or concepts to get a hold of, but I hope this will be helpful. It might be a reminder for some of you, and for some of you, I hope it'll be a great, great encouragement. So if we're talking about this gift of grace that is free, that is part of God, then we want to kind of identify exactly what we're talking about when we use the word grace. And so I just got some things to, to talk through, and these are in your notes. If I'm talking, you know, too fast because I'm from New York, just let me know. So grace, part of the character of God. Grace is part of the character of God. When we talk about grace, you know, it's not just this concept or idea. We are talking about the nature or attribute, an important attribute of God. Grace walked among us in the person of Jesus Christ, as Pastor Brent just read from the Gospel of John. And grace is expressed in its full measure on the cross of Calvary. And um, grace is different, however, than justice and mercy. And so I wanted to kind of walk through this. Justice is getting what we deserve. Mercy is not getting what we deserve. Grace is getting what we do not deserve. In grace, we get eternal life, something we do not deserve. But because of God's love and kindness manifested in Jesus on the cross, we receive the great blessing of redemption. And that's a quote by Matt Slick. Wouldn't you love to have that name? Hello, Mr. Slick. How are you doing? I'm just Carlos. So yeah, those are good distinctions about grace. Really important distinctions about this gift that we're talking about from good old Mr. Slick. And this is a very familiar definition, the unmerited and accurate one, the unmerited favor of God toward man. The unmerited favor of God toward man. In fact, in the Old Testament, the word grace is often translated favor or God is pleased. And so this is a very important word and a good word uh, in defining what grace is. Now, what's important to keep in focus is that, as as we've said, this is not just a term It's not just something we want to define or a concept to kind of grasp. And that's important. It's important to grasp ideas and concepts. We are talking about kind of the essence of who God is. So grace as as an attribute of God's character is like this river that's constantly flowing out of God. Okay, there's never a second where the grace of God is not just emanating from his character. And that grace is expressed in all kinds of ways. We see God's graciousness, his kindness, his mercy, his favor, his love, his faithfulness. Those are all the ways that God freely lavishes his grace upon all of creation. Okay, and we see that throughout uh, the scriptures. And as Pastor Brent just read, grace came to the world. Grace walked upon the earth. Grace became flesh when Jesus humbled himself and became 
a man. And so since this is true, um, this week's word, grace, and the many pictures of grace, the different colors of grace, the different sounds of grace, are literally to be found in almost every story, every page of the Bible, in, in every character just about you can see some glimpse of grace. But we've gonna, we're going to have time this morning to touch on and look at a couple of glimpses of grace. And so our first one as we, as we get into this is glimpses of grace in creation. Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being. And in Psalm 139, for you created my inmost being, you knit me together in my mother's womb. God has no needs. It wasn't like, you know, kids around this time of summer look at mom and dad and go, I'm bored. So it's a good thing the Pokemon thing showed up. You know, it's like God, God wasn't sitting up there somewhere in space and I'm bored. I think I'll make people just to kind of deal with this boredom. That's not how it is. Okay? He is totally transcendent, and God is utterly complete in every aspect of his being. He's complete. There's not a single thing missing. There is no need. And love and intimacy exist in the God Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. So within the Trinity, there's intimacy, there's relationship. So we do real with God, real with each other, real in the world, because at, at the essence of the Trinity, we learn that God is that is love, as the scriptures say. There's intimacy and relationship within the Trinity. And God is love. And the basic nature of love is to give, isn't it? The basic nature of love is to express it in some way. And so uh, God creates man and woman. And um, the, the takeaway here to your notes is God made you to love you. God made you to love you. Okay, now it's not explicit in scripture, you know, you can't find that specific verse. But as you look at God's creative work, and as you look at what he has done, as you look at the free gift of grace from Genesis to Revelation, you get this picture of this relational God who expressed his free gift of grace and love by creating man and woman. God created life, this great gift of life. God is the giver of life. God made you to love you. Now, as we continue in Genesis, when you read those first three chapters, we're told that Adam and Eve walked with God, that God walked in the garden with Adam and Eve. And this speaks to us of fellowship, relationship. There was oneness in the garden. There was the beauty of this pure relationship. He dwelled with, he tabernacled with, you could say in the scriptures, with Adam and Eve. And he speaks uh, to Adam and Eve. He talks with Adam and Eve. So there's, there's a picture that surfaces of just out of the grace of God. And because God is love, he must give. There's this picture of love being just poured out. Just as a, an act of his grace. Unmerited favor toward Adam and Eve. And in Genesis, we also read that when Adam and Eve sinned, it is God that is pursuing them, looking for them, grace poured out, okay, moving toward them in love, seeking them out. In the uh, first uh, account of the fall of man in Genesis 3, we also read this, God pronounces the curse for sin, okay, Adam and Eve have fallen in sin, and in Genesis 3.21, it says, God clothed them, covered them with garments of skin. You see, Adam and Eve 
were morally naked, not just physically naked. We're told that they discovered they were naked, and Adam and Eve sowed fig leaves for themselves. But God, apparently an animal is slain, not for food, but as a sacrifice. And then God covers them. It's an atonement. He covers them with a garment now that is lasting. Fig leaves are too small. They're not going to last. But this is a lasting garment, a garment that brings protection, a garment that is sure and strong, giving us a picture of what is to come, that God will cover the moral bankruptcy now that exists in sin with Adam and Eve. It's grace. It's grace. It's grace. In the midst of the mess of the fall, you know, chapter 3 of Genesis, maybe one of the saddest chapters in all of Scripture, we see that gift of grace just pouring out from God's character and his nature towards Adam and Eve. It's a continual outpouring of who God is. And so I want to illustrate how important this is just in uh, life. Mike Mack, I'm going to pick on you. Can you come up here for a second? He's like dying right now. Yeah, yeah, that Mike Mack. Everyone get up for Mike MacArthur! Okay, some of you have heard me do this before, but I think it fits here really, really well. So, hi, Mike. How are you? You're really ma- are you really mad at me? <laughs> so this I'm is, here to do whatever you need. Awesome. This is Mike MacArthur, uh, a dear friend. He's been serving on the praise team many of you for years, and just, uh, yeah, just a jewel. So, um, is, there, is there another Mike MacArthur in this room besides this Mike MacArthur? It's impossible. Not a, it's not a trick question. Is there another Mike in the room? I see, yeah, there's Mike Miller's here. Any other Mike? So there's another Mike, but Mike Miller obviously is not Mike Mack, right? And there is not another Mike MacArthur. There's probably not another Mike MacArthur we could say in Grundy County, right? Just like this one. Would that be true? There's not an, in fact, we could say there's not another Mike MacArthur in the state of Illinois, in the Midwest, in the whole country. In fact, you can now track with me, there is not another Mike MacArthur on the planet, okay? On planet Earth, this is the only Mike MacArthur, okay? In fact, there's not a Mike MacArthur, just like this one, in the entire universe. And if I had, okay, Marty McFly's, you know, DeLorean, and I can go back in time and just zoom and try and find this Mike MacArthur, and I was able to go back way past 1985, way, way, way back, and look for this Mike MacArthur, I'm never going to find him, no matter how far back that DeLorean takes me. And if I got it and set it to the future, no matter how far in the future I go, I am never going to find this Mike MacArthur. See, God made Mike to love him, and God made each and every one of you to love you. Now, what this tells me is that this is the most unique Mike MacArthur. When God was finished making Mike, he said, this is such a beautiful thing that I have done. It is so awesome. It is, it, its value cannot be expressed. I am done making Mike MacArthur's, just like that one. Okay? Okay, thanks, Mike. You're awesome. Oh, you're he welcome. really is. You're welcome. <laughs> so, now that's true. That's true of all you guys. So look to the left, look to the right, okay? What you're seeing when you look to the left and to the right are unique, beautiful, value cannot be, you know, established creations of God, people that are of infinite worth and value because there's not another you, okay? And there never will be another you. There's never been another you. God pouring out his creative power and grace and love, making you to love you, loving you so much that he made one of you, one of you, and he's never going to do it again, ever, because he was done making the incredible you that you are. 
Okay? This is the implication of grace, this glimpse of grace that we get in um, Genesis. And it's, it's wonderful. It's wonderful. So, you know, just think about your marriage, your children. You know, what kind of impact does that kind of thinking have? That recognition of what God has done. Now, in Revelation 7, we read these words. After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count. From every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. And they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. I can't wait, I can't wait to see in heaven the celebration and welcome of diversity as it's pictured in these verses. Diversity is welcomed in heaven. All peoples, all languages, all tribes, all nations. And diversity should be welcomed here on earth. But, but, this is only possible when every nation, when every tribe, all peoples, all languages honor their creator and find their truest identity in God and celebrate the dignity and the value of life. All life matters. So let's take a look at our next glimpse of grace. I'm going to look at a glimpse of grace in Abraham. Okay, Uh, the Lord said to Abraham, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you from Genesis 12. When we look at Abraham's life, we see God's free gift of grace. There's nothing in the scriptures. You know, Moses doesn't say, well, Abraham came from good stock. He got a great degree in business. And, you know, he really knew how to grow cattle. And so God chose him. You know, there's nothing in the scriptures that tells us Abraham just simply didn't bring anything to the table. It was simply God reaching down into this ordinary man. And freely blessing him. Just because that's who God is. And he chooses Abraham. Not only to bless Abraham. But through Abraham to create a nation. A people to be his own. Through which the entire world. All peoples. All languages. All nations. All tribes. Would know God. And his power and his majesty. And worship him. To give glory to him. And God grace, the grace of God in Abraham's life is received. And I know this and we know this because when we look at Abraham, what we see is a man who is trusting God and obeying his word. Time and time again, we see that lived out. He's not a perfect man by any means, but we see a man who is struggling well to trust God and obey God. And when Abraham does that, it results in the blessings of God, the presence of God, and God fulfilling his promises. In fact, it results in friendship with God. In James 2, 23, it says this, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness, and he was called God's friend. So there's this amazing glimpse of the nature of God's grace, which has to, God is love and this grace has to be given and poured out 
freely. It doesn't cost anything. It's just poured out into this man, Abraham's life, and then, of course, in turn to the nation of Israel and to the world. And so I think this one's in your notes too. There's no limit to the grace of God. The song says, if grace is an ocean, we're all sinking, but we must, like Abraham, make room for grace. We must make room for grace, just like Abraham did. And um, the so what of this is grace, God's grace, moves in when you make room in your heart through trust and obedience. Trust and obedience. I know this is true because I've been to celebrate recovery on Thursdays during their testimony nights. Have you ever been to Celebrate Recovery? I'm going to challenge you tonight. If you've never been, you know, get on the Facebook page or talk to Chad. Find out when the next testimony night is. I have never been to a Celebrate Recovery testimony night where someone has gotten up and said this. This has never happened. You know, here's my testimony. I kept sinning. I refused to forgive. I never reached out in love and acceptance. I decided to hold on to my false gods of addiction and anger. I didn't care what God's word said. I didn't want to be accountable. And guess what? God's grace fell all over me. It's never happened. Never. I've never heard a testimony like that. What I have heard are people sharing the struggle of choosing to be obedient. The struggle of faith. The struggle of trust. And I've seen incredible testimonies. Just blow me away. You know, it's, it's, <laughs> you know, I'm so prideful. It's like, well, what do I look like? You know, you just, I mean, that's almost my immediate response. And then I just realized, hey, it's the free gift of God's grace that I'm seeing here in someone's life. And it's amazing to watch. It's amazing to hear. Because you see, it's just that person deciding to turn and receive that free gift and respond in trust and obedience. So you check out those testimonies, okay? And I promise you that if you and I make room for grace, that we will experience God in a just incredible way. I'm going to go to another glimpse of grace, and this time through Moses uh, and Exodus 33. We're not going to read the chapter. We don't have time. Uh, But this is a remarkable chapter in the scriptures. In this glimpse of grace, and this happens, by the way, after the golden calf incident, you know? And so we get to chapter 33, and there's this incredible prayer meeting between Moses and God, an exchange between the two. You know, Moses is just an incredible, you know, figure in scriptures, especially a figure that demonstrates to us God's favor, his grace, his love, the way God responds to Moses who seeks him and seeks his glory, seeks the glory of God. And between, in that chapter, between verses 12 and 17, uh, we're told five times that Moses is the recipient of God's unmerited favor, of God's grace. We're told God is pleased with Moses. And it's an incredible back and forth, Moses speaking with God as a friend. And Moses prays to God, and he prays to God, and he asks for the people of Israel. He prays for the people of Israel. He prays prayers, seeking God's presence in his life and the people of Israel. And he prays all of that for the purpose of the glory of God. So we have this incredible glimpse into the way of grace 
in the life of Moses. And we learn that we can, like Moses, enter into this incredible expression of God's grace that we call prayer. And we learn from Moses how to do that. See, grace for Moses was the foundation for any petition he brought before God. You know, we used to have prayer meetings. We used to gather uh, for prayer. And I wonder if we don't do that anymore because we've lost a sense of the foundation of God's grace. From the garden, the grace of God is, is visible. His love, it's pouring out freely, a gift of life, the gift of his mercy, the gift of his love to Adam and Eve. And on through Abraham and now through Moses, we see God pouring out his presence in front of Moses, with Moses. And we see this exchange, and Moses prays to God, God, if you're going to, you've told me to lead these people, but who's going to go with us? If you don't go with us, God, no one around us is going to know who you are. Essentially what he says to God. In other words, God, I want your name to be magnified. We need your presence here. We need you to be with us. I need you to be with me. And later in this chapter, you know, with a prayer, the prayer Moses says to God is, God, show me your glory. And in an act of grace, God says, okay, I'll do that. But if you look at me, you're going to die. So in an act of grace, God says, this is what I'll do. So you won't die, Moses. There is grace, unmerited favor all over that amazing chapter. So I challenge you to look at it and just check it out. And learn about prayer in that chapter. You know, I don't know what, uh, where your prayer life is, and mine can improve tons. But I was reminded as I'm getting ready for this message, wow, it is grace, God spoke with Adam and Eve. That's grace. I need to build my prayer foundation upon the grace of God that's always being poured out toward me. Not because I deserve it, not because I've earned it, because it is who God is. And therefore, I can speak to him freely. And God answers Moses. He says, I will do the very thing you have asked because I am pleased with you. I have found favor with you. I am grace to you, Moses. And I know you by name. So check out that chapter. It really is an incredible, incredible chapter. So in your notes, prayer is worship, making your request known to God by remembering God's grace and seeking his glory. Seeking his glory. So Jesus says, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And then the petitions begin. Then the asking begins. So Moses responds to God's free gift of his love and grace and favor in the same way. God, I want your name to be glorified. Will you come with us? God, I want people to know you. Will you bless the people of Israel? Will you lead us and guide us? And so we're given a wonderful example in the life of Moses of this free gift of grace that gives us this solid foundation so that we can freely speak to God. And for his glory, we, gotta, it's, we come to him on his terms. For his glory, for his renown, his name is to be hallowed, his will is to be done, and then we humbly ask, God, since I'm standing on your grace, here's my petition. Here's what I'd like to ask you, and may your name uh, be glorified. So the so what of this is uh, prayer is not about seeking answers. It's about seeking God. It's about seeking God. So much more. We can, we can go on and on and on in taking uh, more glimpses of God's grace. Because we haven't talked about Jonah and what God found in Jonah and the grace and the favor that he showed to Jonah. We haven't 
talked about Noah. We haven't talked about David. We haven't talked about David and the wonderful expressions of grace and favor. How freely God related to David and how David responded to God's grace. We haven't talked about the nation of Israel. I mean, just a little bit. That um, is called a stiff-necked people. You know, I've always loved that and hated it at the same time because I know, you know, you have to stiff neck. I've got a stiff neck with God at times and with, you know, my spouse and you know, that stiff neck. You're just, no way, Jose, pal. You know, I don't think so. And so that stiff neck description, you know, makes me laugh, but it also kind of, you know, nabs me. And that stiff neck people is continually being shown the grace of God. When I read through the Bible in a year for the very first time, my big takeaway was as you look at how God dealt with Israel is the immeasurable, the unfathomable grace and love and pursuit. You could see that love, that free grace flowing continually over and over and over again on the nation of Israel and the nation of Israel rejected and the nation of Israel would wander and stray and the nation of Israel would disobey just like I do. And yet God would continually go back to that nation and love the people and express his desire to have fellowship with them. We haven't talked about grace in the prophets. And so many of the prophets, it is judgment day. God is going to, it's like destruction. There's going to be no more Pokemon and everything. It's going to be awful. And so, you know, we see as we read through the prophets, you know, these pronouncements of God's judgment. And it's pretty horrific when you see these descriptions. But over and over again, the prophets also speak of a day that will come when God's laws can be written on their hearts. We always see in the prophets this grace, that free gift, that love. It's pouring out and God can't help himself but say, there's going to be something new I'm going to do inside your heart. Okay? We see that all over the prophets. We don't have time to talk about all of that. Have you taught, thought about God's grace in the Proverbs? Throughout the Proverbs, you see this word favor. And the Proverbs provides for us kind of this, uh, these lessons on how to live and walk in the favor, in the grace of God. That is all over the book of Proverbs. Okay? If you feel like, boy, I don't sense God's grace in my life, or maybe, maybe I'm missing some of the grace of God, check, check out Proverbs. And you will find throughout Proverbs lessons that will teach you and I how to receive and walk and live in the midst of that free gift, that favor of God. Uh, So we we still have time to hit those and many, many, many more. So let's consider um, the fullness of grace in Christ. Um, The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We've seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. And this is how uh, John Piper describes that verse. This is really good news. God could have chosen to become flesh as a judge and executioner, and all of us would be found guilty before him and be sentenced to everlasting punishment. But he did not become flesh that way. The Word, the Son, who is God, became flesh to reveal a divine glory that is full of grace and truth. The Word of God became flesh, this is in your notes, to be gracious to us. The word of God became flesh to be gracious to us. Again, God's free gift that he cannot contain his love. He is love and he's continually pouring into your life 
and into my life. The word became flesh so that this graciousness to us would come in accord with God's truthfulness. And so the poet's right. He left his father's throne above so free, so infinite his grace, emptied himself of all but love and bled for Adam's helpless race. Tis mercy all, immense and free for, oh my God, it found out me. The poet writes, oh to grace, Oh, to grace, how great a debtor daily I'm constrained to be. Let thy goodness like a fetter bind my wandering heart to thee, my stiff-necked heart. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart. Oh, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. In a few months, we're going to sing, He rules the world with truth and grace. And makes the nations and tribes and languages and peoples and tongues prove the glories of his righteousness and the wonders of his love. And in a few months, on a very special night, we're going to sing Silent Night, Holy Night, Son of God, Love's Pure Light, Radiant Beams from Thy Holy Face, with the dawn of redeeming grace. Jesus, the Lord, At thy birth, the dawn of redeeming grace, the gift of love, of forgiveness, of cleansing, of welcome, of fellowship, of oneness. Grace, 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 grace. The fullness of grace in Christ. This is a bit of a longer passage in in Titus. The grace of Jesus teaches us how to change the world in the present as we are transformed and place our hope in our secure destiny, in your notes. And that's based on a passage in Titus. I'm going to read the passage. It's a a little long, but it's, I think, an important one to help us to see an aspect of God's grace being lived out, calling us to change the world. Titus says in Titus 2, 11 to 14, for the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. And it teaches us the grace of God, the free gift, the love of God, the grace of God teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions. It teaches us to live self-controlled, upright, and godly in this present age. Now, while we wait for the blessed hope, future, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. The grace of God, of Jesus teaches us how to change the world, how to change the world now. The hymn writer wrote, Rock of ages, cleft for me. Let me hide myself in thee. Let the water and the blood from thy wounded side which flowed. And he says this, be of sin the double cure, the double cure for sin, Free from wrath and make me pure. See, the world is not only looking for a testimony, not only looking for a story, and it certainly needs that. The world is looking for lives that are changed. So Titus is teaching us the grace of God has appeared to man in Christ, the dawn of redeeming grace, to tell the story of the gospel, but also to live in me and to live in you, that the world might be changed by lives that are changed. Let's say no to the world and say yes to Christ. So if Jesus is your savior this morning, 
then he made you. There's not going to be another you, and only you can express the grace of Christ like no one else can because that's how unique and special you are. The grace of God lives within you if you're a Christian, and only you can display that grace in your unique, beautiful way like no one else on earth can. But you have to make room for that. We become the grace of God by our obedience and our trust. Irenaeus, a second century church leader, said this, Jesus became what we are that we might become what he is. Jesus became what we are that we might become what he is, changing the world. And in Hebrews 4, we read, let us then approach God's throne of grace, the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. The grace of Jesus welcomes us home, welcomes us home to the throne of grace where it all began, where we find comfort and mercy. Seeking out God, finding help in our time of need. Where does that happen? It happens in the midst of, because of God's grace, continually being poured out, the free gift of grace. So, I've got a to-do list for you in your notes. What do we do? What do we do with this grace? Okay, if it's, a, if it's this free gift, if God can help from express it, if we see in, in the totality of scriptures in these few little glimpses this morning, how God's grace continually is being poured out and how people have responded to their grace, what Abraham did, what Moses did, it. we see Christ, the fullest expression of grace. I've got three things on your grace to-do list. Receive it. Have you received God's grace? I'm talking to unbelievers, and if you're a Christian, is Jesus your Savior? Is he your leader, as Pastor Dave likes to say? What's holding you back? Is there trust and obedience, you know, in my life and in your life? Are you making room for sin? Okay, we haven't even touched on all the ways that Paul talks about grace, but he says this, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. I mean, Paul just nails us. This is who you guys are. And then, of course, this beautiful verse, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ by grace. You have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that... In the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ. For by grace you have been saved. This is not your own doing. It is a gift of God that costs you nothing. Costs you nothing. So what's holding you back? God made you, God created you. That means you have purpose and infinite value and worth. And his grace in this very moment is being poured out to you. So Christian, can you get on the road of trust and obedience this morning? If you're not saved, we would love to speak with you about that. Let it transform you. To do this number two, let it transform you. If Jesus is your leader, are you surrendering to him? And that's a day-to-day thing. You know, we've talked about that. Paul says in Romans, put on 
the Lord Jesus. In Genesis, God made garments of skin and covered Adam and Eve. And now Paul tells us, put on, cover yourself, get clothed, get dressed in Jesus, who is grace. Put Jesus on. And I don't know about you, but I got to do that sometimes moment by moment. Because grace is not my default. It just isn't. And Paul's words echo in my heart on a good day. Put on the Lord Jesus. Are you being transformed? Are you receiving that grace? Are you talking to God on the foundation of grace? Because he wants to fellowship with you and walk with you. As it was in the garden. And now because of the blood of Christ, we can have that kind of access. Is Jesus your leader? You got to make room for grace. Let it transform you. And finally, give it away. Give it away. So on your way out, if you'd like, there's these grace bucks that we printed. Okay? And unlike our economy, you know, this is endless. We can print a gazillion of these and it doesn't matter. You know, their value stays high. (laughs) So if you want, I'm going to challenge you to take one. And now this is just for you. This is only for you to keep in your wallet, maybe in your Bible, on your fridge somewhere. Okay, it's only for you. So this is not, you're not going to give this away. It's just going to represent for you. It says just one act of grace. So it's going to represent the grace of God that's continually being poured out. And it says one act of grace. And so what you're to do then is to keep this as a reminder and then give it away. Okay, so husband, wife, how about your words? Are they harsh or are they full of grace? Okay, don't give them this. Keep this in your pocket or your purse or your wallet, but give them the grace. How about, a, how about words that are loving and gentle? How about words that are kind? How about your attitude? Okay, keep this in your pocket somewhere. Keep it on your fridge. And say, oh, I'm going to do that an act of grace in my attitude today. So this grace I'm going to exhibit in my thinking, in my heart. Because I'm struggling with that coworker or that neighbor who just always parks that car, like right on my grass or, you know, whatever. So you've got this attitude thing going on, right? And you refuse to let it go because you're stiff-necked just like I am. So put... <laughs> preach this out and go, oh man, that's right. I'm standing on God's grace and his grace is continually poured out and I'm supposed to be a person of grace. I'm going to let go of that attitude just as an act of grace towards that person. I might even go buy that person a cup of coffee and then tell them not to park on my grass. <laughs> you know, just an act of grace toward that person. You know, usually it's, it's within, because we, we're with God, we're with each other, we're in the world, Father, Son, Holy Spirit relationship. That's where you live the, the Christian faith. So we, I need a lot of these in my relationships. Okay, I remember the day I had to confess a grievous sin to Ruth, my wife. And it, uh, it could have destroyed us. It could have just imploded the family. And Ruth responded with this. With just grace. With forgiveness. With welcome. With acceptance. That was her response. And I got a taste in real time of God's grace to me through her. So the greatest gift you can give your husband, your wife, is a taste of who God is by just being grace-filled toward them. Okay? especially when they're harsh or or whatever. You get the idea. So take one of these if you'd like, and uh, you be about just giving them away as much as you want. Giving it away, giving it away. At at this stage in your pocket for the rest of your life, you're never going to run out as you you just exhibit that grace. Freely give it away as a gift as God has given it to you. And I'd love to hear the stories about what God does when you trust and obey him with your grace-filled life towards others. That would be awesome to hear. I'm uh, just going to close with this admonition from our friend Peter. But grow in the grace. Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Grow in the grace. Get bigger. Get taller. 
so that love, that welcome, that acceptance that is being poured into your heart is just spilling out all over the place. And we're changing the world right now because we're deciding to do that in trust and obedience. I'm going to switch mics on your George.